the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Laura Slattery and on today's podcast, I'll be talking to Irish Times technology expert Kira O'Brien about Apple's big bet on television. Fiona Redden will also be here to discuss how a wedding band can affect your tax band and whether Irish people should have the right to civil partnerships. But first, Peter Hamilton has a roundup of this week's business news. Hi, Peter. Hi, Laura. So you've been devoting some of your time lately to the institution that is Copper Face Jacks. Regrettably, it must be said, but that that is the case. Uh, it'll be news to nobody at this point that Copperface Jacks went up for sale last Thursday. At the time, sources I spoke to suggested it could sell for in the region of €40 million. Euro. Quite a spicy price tag for it. It's being sold alongside a 37-bedroom hotel. It must be said it's not just the institution and a plethora of bars uh, in, in the building. So the question that has arisen is uh, who will buy it and one report recently well in- initially we thought that it was going to be press up and there was a lot of hype that that's press because up, press up buys everything basically press up is buying a lot around dublin at the moment uh it certainly is and recently announced plans to go into dundrum so you know they, they are very active on the dublin scene we thought it was them they said no they have no interest then uh on sunday there was a report in the sunday business post that pat mcdonough was interested in it so this, Pat McDonough, of course, of Supermax fame, the restaurants, and now he has his own hotel group, So Hotels. But this seems very peculiar and it makes little sense for him given there's not a, a well, unless he puts a Supermax in the back garden, but it's not going to be a luxury hotel as he's targeting four-star hotels. Uh, and it's a, it's a real museum as a bar that's not as if he can go in and put his own stamp on it. We thought it was interesting to raise it nonetheless because it is Pat McDonough and it is a, a famous name looking at it. But as I say, because of the value, it seems uh, unlikely that he'll buy it. But given that it made a profit of €4 million Euro last year and in its entire lifetime has accumulated profits of about €75 million, I'm sure there'll be some eager buyer out there. So it's still very popular. Um, Paul Howard, who wrote uh, Copper's The Musical, has described it as a meat and two veg nightclub. Will Copper's always be Copper's? Well, it's hard to know. And look, with that new musical, you'd have to think it's still as popular as ever. Uh, Remember, it also got a mention on All-Ireland Final Day. Uh, there's a new Tato ad just out featuring coppers. It is very popular. I mean, we would say it was iconic, only we're not really allowed to use the word iconic. <laughs> no, one of our, our colleagues would object. But it, it's, it's. I mean, that is how it is viewed by a lot of people, as being an iconic location uh, that, that people, I suppose, people from the country really flock to. Um so, look, it holds a special place in some people's hearts. And, uh, you know, I, I assume it will continue to do so if nothing changes. If a new uh, consortium of buyers come in there and try and change it, it'll be an altogether different um, different prospect. So now, Pat McDonough of Supermax fame, as you said, he's been in the news for another reason this week. Yeah, he has. And this was down to McDonald's. It's his battle, ongoing battle uh, with McDonald's. So... Not so long ago, Pat McDonough was successful in getting an EU trademark office to cancel the Big Mac trademark in Europe. 
Uh, McDonald's obviously didn't take, take too kindly to that and they've now appealed. Now, they haven't uh, filed their grounds of appeal yet, but they have appealed. Just worth remembering back to when they lost that trademark in the first place, one of the things the court didn't take too kindly to was that McDonald's lawyers brought in evidence from Wikipedia to show how popular the Big Mac was. Anyway, that didn't fly. They lost the trademark. It's likely to take about a year now to decide on this appeal. McDonough has previously said that as a result of the Big Mac trademark being disallowed or cancelled, that will allow him register his own trademark, uh, which opens the doors for expansion in Europe. Now, there's... Uh, it remains to be seen whether that is something he really wants to do or whether he is just looking to fight McDonald's simply for the publicity. We'll have to wait and see about that. But it's going to be about a year before that comes to pass in any event. But he's kind of in it for the long haul, isn't he? He's, he's sort of stuck with this <laughs> case. Absolutely, absolutely. And look, it is a good, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing for publicity because the Supermax name comes up every so often and, and people talk about it on all the airways. It's on in all the newspapers. So, it, you know, when it comes up again, it'll be another feast day uh, in terms of coverage for Pat McDonough. Right. Well, I'm sure there is a point of principle at stake, but sometimes I think maybe McDonald's might be better off working, worrying about Shake Shack rather than Supermax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and look, there are more competitors coming onto the scene. For example, if we look to Dublin, a new healthy food fast food offering has come uh, to Ireland, Leon. Some people may be familiar with it from London. It opened there in 2004. They're going to open a restaurant, Temple Bar, in May. Uh, and it's part of a plan to open 20 restaurants by 2023. So... In Ireland, they're operating uh, as a franchise in the whole Ireland of Ireland. And some of the dishes on its menu include Moroccan meatballs, grilled halloumi wraps and kefir smoothies. So Nothing with Mac in the title. Nothing with Mac in the title, or at least not that I'm aware. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, as I say, it's a healthy fast food offering. And this is one of the competitors. It seems to have done quite well in London. Now it's tackling other markets. Yeah, and the place that they're going into in Temple Bar is somewhere I used to go in the 90s, which is the the vintage clothes shop Eager Beaver, which, of course, has, has shut down now, obviously, to make way for it. Um, but it just goes to show how things com- completely <laughs> evolve over time. Yeah, I wasn't terribly familiar with Eager Beaver, but it, apparently it had quite a, a popular following. And it's a relatively uh, significant building um, iconic Leon, <laughs> Leon, perhaps iconic but Leon is taking about 1600 square foot of space there both the ground floor and the first floor so it's significant for them Okay well speaking of big plans there's a quite massive in fact and rather unsexy merger happening in the world of high finance at the moment between two German lenders Yeah Absolutely, it's the proposed merger of Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank and they've begun exploratory uh, merger talks. So if they do merge, this would create the Eurozone's second largest lender. The largest is BNP Paribas. They would have 1.9 trillion in assets and would have more than 140,000 employees if it's successful. The reason this is facing some disquiet in Germany and particularly among German unions is because they expect around 30,000 jobs to be shed if the merger is to be successful. And not all of Deutsche's investors are behind this either. One one that is, is the private equity group that Irish consumers will be familiar with, Cerberus. Uh, they have a 3% stake and they are backing uh, Deutsche's merger with Commerzbank. And why is it happening now? I, I suppose it's a good question why it's happening right now because the problems in both of those banks have existed now for a decade. Uh, they were both badly hit after the financial crisis with Commerzbank requiring a government bailout in 2009. And 
I suppose the German government have been concerned for some time about the downward trajectory of both of the bank's fortunes. And since 2008, for example, Deutsche has received penalties of about 18 billion. So, you know, it's not not in a particularly good shape. And the issue is that Deutsche, once seen as a great bank, isn't competing with the likes of JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, which were previously its rivals. But it's not even on the same pedestal as those at, at this point in time. So... This appears to be not quite a done deal, but the German finance ministry has long supported this. So there there aren't barriers in that sense to, to this going through. Well, they say it's good to share your problems, but maybe not in this case. Thanks very much, Peter Hamilton. Thank you. Apple is set to unveil the next generation of Apple TV at its California HQ next week. What will its big push on television mean for the company and also for Netflix and its other on-demand content rivals? I'm joined by Kira O'Brien, Kira next week's event. It's titled, It's Showtime. What are you expecting from it? Well, the thing is with Apple, it can be anything, really. I mean, we, we kind of think we know what they're going to say and then every so often they throw us a curveball. But it looks likely that this will be Apple's long-rumoured television service. Now, if you've been following Apple and its activities over the last couple of years, you'll know that it's been... Uh, beefing up its executive team that's in charge of its original programming. Um, If you're in the US, you can get access, and the UK, I think, as well, but you can get access to their TV shows. So stuff like Carpool, Carpool, Karaoke, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, which we can't at the moment, if you go into the iTunes app on your phone, you can't get it here. You can only access films. So what we're expected to see on Monday is that they will announce their own streaming service. This will put it into competition, I suppose, with the likes of Netflix, Hulu uh, and a few others. I mean, Disney is is doing its own TV service. I think at this point you have to ask who is not doing TV rather than who is because it's becoming a very, very crowded field. Uh, Netflix has said they're not going to integrate their programming with Apple's uh, new TV service so we can kind of discount any Netflix shows appearing in that particular app. Um, It's going to be an interesting one because obviously Apple are a bit late to the game on this one. Netflix has millions and millions and millions of subscribers. I think the last count was 148 million streaming subscribers worldwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just because Apple is sort of considered late to the game on this one, it doesn't necessarily mean it won't be a success. Because if you look at what they've done before, um, say with Apple Music, Apple Music was... It was very late to the game. I mean, Spotify was in there. Deezer was there as well. Um, and now it's catching up a little bit on Spotify. It is. I mean, it still has fewer paying subscribers and its uh, its rate of adding paying subscribers is less than Spotify's. But I think the last count, the last estimate um, that was published last year by a media company was 56 million subscribers. Now, Spotify at the time had 86, 87 million, I think. So it's actually, it's considering how far behind it was when it came to the, the streaming music game, it's not, um, it's not, it's it's not done badly. In fact, it's, it's done pretty well. And it kind of has a captive audience in a way because if you have an iTunes account, it's very easy just to sign up for all these extra things. You don't have to give um, any more credit Um, credit card details the services are there and it's looking like what they will do um, according to rumours anyway that they will offer a certain amount uh, free to Apple users and then some stuff will be on subscription and part of the the, the draw is that they're going to be doing like the likes of Amazon and Netflix uh, they're going to be doing their own original TV programming and that is going to be getting that right is what's going to, to draw people in from rival services because if you can get movies and TV shows that are 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 
kind of licensed elsewhere. I mean, why would you bother switching provider? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a few things in there. So let's start with that original content because as I understand it, next week will be more about sort of revealing licensed uh, content deals with the likes of HBO and Showtime. That's the rumour anyway. But there are a number of original series in the works. They are spending money on this area. Yeah, and it's not something that they've really been hiding. I mean, there's um, original content. They've signed up... Um, like production companies, say the likes of Oprah Winfrey's, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steven Spielberg, they've all kind of signed on to do original content with Apple um, through various production companies. And I think that the general feeling is, yes, they will announce kind of the, the, the standard stuff on Monday and then the original programming will be ready to go later on in the autumn, which will link in nicely with the, uh, the, the traditional kind of start of the 2019-2020 um, TV season that you see in the States. Yeah, the traditional broadcast TV season. Of course, broadcast it, TV is being massively hit by all these on-demand competitors. But I, yeah, I have to say, I, my attention was drawn to, you mentioned there, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, they're doing a, a series, I think it's about a morning TV show, The Morning Show. Steve Carell's in that as well. That sounds great. There's an unknown Oprah Winfrey project and there's a lot of sci-fi series. There's a thing called For All Mankind and another one called Sea. Um, I'm, just, I'm really intrigued by this. I might actually even sign up. And there you have it. That's exactly what they're going for. And I think at the start, I mean, there's this talk of it being exclusively for um, Apple users. And obviously that will make it, uh, I suppose, a, a smaller field than if it was doing, like I said, the Netflix or the Amazon Prime video route, which is, you know, it doesn't matter what platform you're on. But that doesn't mean it's going to stay like that if that's what they announce. Because look at what happened with Apple Music. Originally, it was just on Apple, then it moved out to Android. And in the US at the moment, you can get it on Amazon's Echo speakers. So if you have an Amazon device, you can link up your Apple Music account and you can ask you can ask Alexa. I was about to say Siri, but you can ask yeah. Alexa to um, to play your your favorite music. So I don't. Think, I think what we see on Monday is the start. It's not going to be the complete picture, and obviously these things will develop as time goes on. I think it's interesting that Netflix are are not going to participate in this at all. Um, they don't really. I don't think that they really see Apple as a competitor as such, or not as a competitor, sorry. They, they kind of use the thing of, of a rising tide lifts all ships. So, you know, a new, comp- new player comes into the market and, you know, everybody is going to get better. But Netflix is already competing with, um, as they say, they're, they're already competing with broadcast TV. And I know broadcast TV, to a certain extent, is considered, you know, the traditional thing, the, the older kind of... Uh, outdated thing but it's still there and it's still, still very strong on yes and it, you know I'm, it's like everybody says newspapers are dead I mean I'm not counting it out until we actually see people the interesting thing is because we don't have figures for who watches what really in most cases on Netflix we don't know really is it those shows that come from broadcast TV that are the most watched or is it the Netflix originals? Now, I suspect it's a bit of both, but in a universe where Disney Plus is there, where AT&T, uh, which owns Warner Media, has their own service, at least in, in the US, and you've got Amazon pumping more into its own original content, and, you, you know, you've got services right, left and centre. What's, you know, it, is Netflix, does it, is it harder for Netflix to keep hold of its subscribers? Now, we know they have a huge lead, but, you know, what, what would your feeling be? They do have a huge lead, but I think it's going to come down to um, how available the services are. I mean, obviously, in Ireland, if we don't get this new TV service, it's a, it's a midpoint. You know, I'm Apple, they, yeah. They're, they're, so you'll have, uh, people already signed up for Netflix. I mean, it's like Spotify. It's very, 
it's not impossible to shift the, the, the incumbent providers. I mean, you, we've seen it happen. I mean, this thing, ha- this kind of thing happens all the time. New guys come in, disrupt it, and then move on. But I think it's worth noting with Spotify in particular, say, going back to the Apple Music analogy, Spotify's customers tend to be younger than Apple Music customers. Yeah. And that, now that's going obviously going on some research that has been done um, outside of, of Apple. But it's, you know, if you're getting younger people, um, you know, that tends to be the, the, the customer base that a lot of these services really want because, you know, they grow with the service and then they might add on their, their kids or whatever. Um, mm. So it'll be interesting to see if the same thing is replicated with this Apple service, if it is older people. And I probably, I, I think at this stage, it's probably counted um, myself among the older generation, much to my disgust. But, you know, <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm now moving out of that, you know, that, that younger a desirable market into I still the, watch BBC One <laughs> well yeah I still watch I still watch linear TV it happens less and less these days because I just don't have the time for it but if you're looking at the likes of Amazon Prime Video I have I'm going to be honest I have Prime Video I have um, I have Netflix and I have Disney Life because I've got kids mm-hmm. I have Prime Video because I signed up for the two day delivery on Amazon Prime and it just happens to come with it I have Netflix because I want Netflix I want what's on Netflix and I want those original programs that are on Netflix that I can't get anywhere else mm-hmm. uh, and I'd be interested to see now what these new shows are like because if it is a case that um, they do have these the, the, these are kind of compelling TV shows well then maybe I'll be signing up for Apple as well and I think people are these days more inclined to pay for services um, whether multiple it's, services yeah it's 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 becoming more and more common whereas you know 10 years ago people would have just been like why would I pay for that when I can get it for free but now people want the convenience and when things are affordable and they're kind of packaged as these monthly subscriptions they don't seem quite as expensive as if you put it all together in you know, one big TV package. So you might look at your your regular TV at home package and it's costing you 80 quid a month and you might balk at that. That's what is at risk, really. Exactly. So Steve Jobs uh, told his uh, biographer in 2011 uh, that Apple had finally cracked a winning formula for television. Why do you think it has actually taken too long to even, you know, <laughs> assuming it has cracked it now, to, to get to this point? Uh, is it just that, now's the time they really need a new source of revenue well obviously that the revenue story is one that's that's it's quite compelling and that you know iphone sales are slowing and it's very difficult to sell into a saturated market there is only so many iphones you can sell into a market and people are holding on to their devices for longer uh, tablets are, don't have the same refresh rate i suppose as a phone would have people are used to changing their phone every couple of years that cycle is getting longer but it's still a more regular thing than people buy an ipad and they hold on to it for five or six years um because it depends on what you've bought it, it probably still does the job um Getting, I suppose, concentrating, this is a new concentration on this services revenue. So with the likes of Apple Music, um, you know, Apple is trying to find new sources of revenue. Trying to get something uh, right, like a TV package, um, you might have cracked it in 2011, but things move fast. So you have to keep up. And if they haven't kept up, obviously, if they've been concentrating, their attention has been elsewhere, then, you know, you would have to uh, update your yourself uh, quite regularly to keep on top of it. I don't really know why it's taken them so long to actually put out something like this. But I do know that, you know, they, they what they have coming down the line looks very interesting. Mm-hmm. So they may well have cracked it and it may well just have been building the team behind it, getting that team right, getting that content mix right. 
they had might have had the idea and might have had the formula there, but actually getting the other pieces together to make sure that this is the best thing they can put out is something else entirely. Well, personally, the one I'm looking forward to is the comedy series about the early life of the poet Emily Dickinson. I think that sounds intriguing. But we'll leave Apple there for the moment. Just just briefly turn our attention to some Google news. What's been happening with Google today? It's not been a great day for Google. Um, they got hit with a one and a half billion euro fine over search advertising. And look, we were expecting this. This was coming. Um, it, it's I suppose another fine to add to the list. I mean, they're over eight million now, and the European Commission has been kind of looking into what Google has been doing. Um, yesterday, they announced uh, Stadia, which is their new streaming platform for games. Today, they have this. It's kind of taken attention away from it, so it's taken a bit of the shine off it uh, mm-hmm. from for Google. They are making changes and. You know, partly because obviously the the commission is taking a very deep interest in what they're doing. They're making changes to try and mitigate um, the, I suppose, the impact that it can have. Uh, just in terms of, you know, Android now will give you an option for your your browser and your search apps. You know, they're they're going to make it more obvious that you do have a choice rather than sticking with just the Google ones. Uh, search advertising now is. Basically, uh, what it was before was the previous contracts that Google had with uh, with websites, um, with basically previous contracts that Google had meant that the most valuable spots were reserved for its ads. Now they're going to open that up because they, they changed the contracts as of 2016 so that it wouldn't be just, I suppose, as concentrated on Google and other search ads could come in there. So we'll see if that satisfies the commission. But on that uh, expensive note, thank you very much, Kira O'Brien. Coming up, I'll be talking to Fiona Redden about tying the knot, or indeed not tying the knot. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Should you be able to avail of the financial and legal benefits of marriage without actually getting married? In the UK, civil partnerships will be extended from same-sex to opposite-sex couples, giving millions an alternative to marriage they didn't have before. In this state, they're not on offer to any couples. To discuss the implications of this, our personal finance expert Fiona Redden is here. Fiona, there's lots of reasons, isn't there? why some couples don't want to sign up to the institution of marriage, but they don't especially feel like they should be discriminated against in tax or inheritance law. I think you're right, Laura, and I think you've touched on a point there when you said the institution of marriage. You know, for some people it's seen as an institution, it's seen as an archaic one, patriarchal one. They want something more modern, more in tune with their own partnership, maybe with what they see as more um, resemblance of that. So that's why in the UK there's been such a drive towards a civil partnership, which is going to give people similar rights to marry couples without getting married. And this actually sprung from uh, an equality case, essentially. It did, yeah, because like in Ireland, remember, back in 2011, we brought in our own civil partnership for same-sex couples. Something similar happened in the UK, but then opposite-sex couples said, wait a minute, we'd like these same rights, but we don't want to get married. I mean, it's going contrary, I guess, to what same-sex couples did, is and they really wanted to get married. 
opposite sex couples are saying we don't want to get married, but we do want the rights that are bestowed upon you once you get married. So the difference is um, the UK kept um, civil partnerships for same-sex couples alongside marriage, whereas when we had the marriage referendum, we kind of essentially got rid of uh, civil partnerships. Straight after that, we rescinded civil partnerships. And I guess some of the reasoning behind that perhaps was that civil partnerships weren't seen to be as good as marriage, you know, as the rights and benefits bestowed, particularly when it comes to parents of children and the rights you get within a marriage. And also perhaps it was to do with how we see marriage in the Constitution. Some people felt maybe it might undermine that institution of marriage by having two separate regimes. So they decided to just keep it simple and have the one. So that's the state of play. So at the moment, what are the kind of key financial benefits uh, available to married couples. Yeah, and I guess we should say that, I mean, there's about 150,000 cohabiting couples now in Ireland. It's increased fivefold since 1996. So it's very much a growing trend out there. And um, they do, there are lots of benefits that they don't, can't avail of because they're not married. Um, Primarily, it comes down to tax with this. So the first thing is if you, um, if you earn about 100,000, say, the difference over 40 years, say your working life is going to be about 400,000 to you if you're a cohabiting couple earning that amount compared to a married couple earning that amount. And that, is that for every couple or does it depend on it, what it their does depend, salaries Laura, are? And I what mentioned 100,000 there because it does mention your salaries. Typically, if you're both earning over about 24,000, the benefits are negligible because of individualisation in the taxes. You're in the same tax band, so there's no, yeah. uh, you but can't But depending really on your earnings, it can be huge. And I guess even the bigger thing from a tax perspective is inheritance. So mm-hmm. at the moment, you can transfer assets, any amount of assets between spouses tax free. But if you're not married, you're only going to, you're going to be treated as a stranger. That's what it's called in the law. And the amount you'll get is 16,500, about that much. And there are so you have to pay tax on everything else. So if yeah. your partner dies, leaves behind a nice life insurance policy. You'll have to pay tax on that. I mean, there are things that cohabitees can do, aren't there? But there's a lot of stuff that sort of just happens kind of automatically within marriage. I think you've, you've hit the nail on it there, Laura, when you say automatically, because pension rights are automatically transferred to a spouse. Now, you can nominate them. You can nominate someone. But again, it's not automatic because you're nominating. So it just gives you greater protection, particularly for people who mightn't be so inclined to, to take care of their finances. So cohabiting can be costly, uh, especially in, in it a, can be costly. an now expected we me- event. We mentioned earlier the um, Civil Partnership Act in Ireland, and that did bring in better rights for cohabiting couples. But it's, it's very much, it's much lesser than in marriage. Basically, what it means is that if one of the partners is financially dependent on the other, that they won't be left penniless should the relationship um, break up. So now I believe in the UK... Opposite sex couples will be able to avail of this from the end of the year, but they're not the only country to go down this route, are they? No, I mean, across the world, you see it in France as well. France are one of the precursors, I guess, of this civil partnership approach. They've got this regime called PAX, and it was brought in back in 99, ostensibly for same-sex couples, and then evolved over time. And I mean, in France, actually, you don't even have to be in a relationship to get PAXed. And that... (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I mean, well, maybe sense. maybe that's the way the world is moving, and shouldn't we be considering something like that? You know, that it would confer similar benefits that married couples can enjoy. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all for um, 
Well, Who's for to the say all the romances in the marriages anyway? Rise up and <laughs> defeat the tyranny of two, as I believe it's called. Um, but you know, there is a, a lot of sort of legal intricacies with this, um, isn't there? Because there are, as I say, if civil partnerships in other countries. But we don't recognise those here now, do we? That's a bizarre one, Laura, and a lawyer confirmed that for me this morning. If you think about Northern Ireland, you know, you have someone living on that side of the border. They're in a civil partnership, could be working in Ireland, but living in Northern Ireland. But that civil partnership isn't going to be recognised in Ireland. And is there, I mean, as I say, they didn't go this direction after the marriage referendum, but is there now any campaign at all to... There doesn't seem to be. Yeah. And I mean, I guess with the same sex civil partnership, there was a huge, very well organised drive to achieve that, which they did. But there doesn't seem to be that same kind of joined up thinking with this. Perhaps people aren't fully aware or maybe they think someday they will get married or... Or maybe they think they can, I mean, as many people do, I guess, reinterpret and reimagine marriage on their own terms and try and shake off, I guess, some of the Yeah, which, is, which is fair enough, but they need to bear in mind the financial considerations mm-hmm. of doing so. OK, well, it'll be interesting to see what the take up of civil partnerships is among opposite sex couples in the UK. And indeed, if same sex couples continue to opt for it now that the marriage is available for now. Thank you very much, Fiona Redden. Thank you. That's all for this week's Brexit-free edition of Inside Business with me, Laura Slattery. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Kira O'Brien and Fiona Redden. This podcast was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. You can get the latest business news straight to your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email on irishtimes.com. We'll be back next week. Until then, thanks for listening.